Well, good morning, y'all. As Mike mentioned earlier, uh, I am uh, Jeff Bryant. I have the privilege of being uh, your new uh, pastor of families and children. I was just thinking a few minutes ago how in a few months you're all going to have to reintroduce yourselves to me because I can only see a quarter of your face. (laughs) So, or you could come up like this and I'll be like, oh, Mark. Um, So I I recognize that uh, it is unusual to meet uh, during this time, but we're thankful to be here. Uh, we're thankful to be here. Appreciate everyone who's prayed for the move and the transition, uh, for the meals y'all provided. Thanks for praying for Everett. Uh, he's starting to sleep a little bit, which means we're starting to sleep a little bit, which is nice. Uh, but not only do I have the privilege of being a new pastor here, but I have the privilege uh, to open God's Word with you today. And as we look at our text for this morning, we see that we have arrived at the conclusion of John's letter. Uh, this is a letter that John wrote to address the division and the trouble that had been caused by false teachers who had come into the church who were denying crucial teachings about Jesus. And as you can imagine, uh, these false teachers created quite a bit of division within the church as, as they spoke against the very truths that these Christians had received from the apostles and that they had placed their faith in. And then uh, these false teachers created even more division when many of them departed from the church and took their followers with them. So John wrote this letter to address uh, these false uh, teachings that had troubled the faith of these Christians, and and he wrote to assure them that they had believed the true gospel of Jesus Christ and that they could be assured of eternal life in him. And so as John closes his letter, he once again seeks to assure his hearers that they are secure in Jesus Christ. And so as we begin this morning... Let me read our passage for us. I'm going to read 1 John 5, verses 13 through 20. 1 John 5, 13 through 20. Hear now the word of the Lord. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter um, that this congregation has been able to study. And we thank you for this conclusion. Uh, This letter, as John assures us of incredible truths. Uh, We ask this morning that you would help us uh, to be able to focus Uh, We ask that you would give us patience with our mask. Uh, We ask that you would give us hearts that are able to just 
desire your word. We pray that you would meet us as we consider your word, that, you would, um, that your word would bring comfort, that it would bring correction, that it would bring um, instruction, Father. And we thank you that we know that you do hear our prayers and that you answer them. And here we pray. Amen. Well, as we all get to know each other, one of the things that y'all are going to learn about me is not only do I say y'all too often, but uh, one of the other things you'll learn about me is that I love to read. And uh, I read pretty widely, uh, but my favorite genre is, is fiction. And in the last few years, I discovered kind of a fun new retelling of the story of King David. And, and this series is written for older children, kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia is. Um, it's written by a man named Jonathan Rogers, and it's called The Wilder King. And in this story, the author retells much of, the, much of David's early years, and he kind of tells it in the setting of an island that he calls Cornwall. And as the story moves along, the island nation of Cornwall, who, who worships the one true God, comes under attack from a neighboring country named Perth. And, and after the battle lines are drawn, Perth sends out a champion named Greydoll, who you might have guessed is a giant. And, and this giant comes out each day, and he mocks the people, and he mocks the god of Cornwall. And he does this day after day, until the army of Cornwall um, is just is so defeated that they're ready to, to surrender without even raising a sword. And so it's, it's into this moment that a young boy, trusting in the Lord, accepts the challenge and defeats this giant great all. And in the moment right after, in the moment right after he has shocked everyone by defeating this giant, he cries out one word. He cries out, remember. He, he calls on the defeated, worn down, and ashamed people of the one true God to remember who they are and to remember who their God is. And as the army of Cornwall reflects on this truth, uh, they are emboldened uh, and renewed and strengthened for the battle. Well, John is writing to a group of people who have been confronted by false teachings that attack the very heart of the gospel, and they are questioning what they really have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, they're asking, is, this, is, this, um, is the truth that we heard, is the truth that we received, um, is it still the truth or do we need to know something else? Uh, their hearts were unsettled. Their hearts were discouraged as they wondered, do we have the truth or do we need to look somewhere else? And, and in our passage today, we hear John call them to remember the truths of the gospel and to be strengthened in their faith as he reminds them of the truths that they already know and possess in Jesus Christ. And the reason that we need to hear this today is because we are also living during a season that is incredibly unsettling and divisive. Uh, life as we know it seems to have disappeared overnight, and we are grieving that. Uh, it's disappeared overnight, and it's been replaced with a virus that we can't seem to wrap our heads around, uh, with ongoing riots around our country. It's been replaced with conspiracy theories, and with cries for justice, and with loss of our regular spiritual and religious routines. Uh, it's been replaced with governors and, and mayors getting in Twitter battles with senators and our president. Uh, it's our daily lives have been replaced with a world that uh, is seeking their preferred truth rather than Schaefer's true truth. Um, and the reality is that the evangelical church really doesn't, really doesn't know how to respond to all this going on. We're, we're struggling. There's division within the church as well. And as the months have worn on, many of us have found ourselves discouraged and anxious and frustrated and depressed and, and just feeling anchorless. Uh, we're, we're looking for good and normal things and we can't find them. 
And, and as we seek to find the comfort and the stability and the peace and the rest that our unsettled hearts are craving, we have to be careful that we don't run after false teachers and false gospels and false saviors. Uh, because the world is full of people and programs and of things that falsely promise that they can give us what our hearts really need. Well, in Psalm 94, 19, it says this, When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. And so this morning, just like the men and women who received John's letter, our discouraged and unsettled souls need to be reminded of the truths that we already know and possess in Jesus Christ. So today, we're going to walk through this passage together, and as we do, we're going to hear John call us to remember four incredible truths that he assures us are already ours in Jesus Christ. And the first incredible truth that John calls us to remember is this. If you have come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, then you can know that you have eternal life. If you have come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, then you can know that you have eternal life. I'm going to read verse 13 again for us. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, what a wonderful place for him to begin. In a world of division and chaos and sadness and sin and death, John assures us that if we are in Christ, then we have eternal life. You know, as, as you read the book of 1 John, you hear him say this over and over again. John tells us that if we believe in Jesus, if we have come to him in both faith and repentance, then we can be assured of eternal life. And, and in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, talking about the gospel of John, uh, he tells us that he wrote the Gospel of John so that we will believe in Jesus Christ. And here, at the conclusion of this letter, John tells us that he has written so that having believed in Jesus Christ, we can have assurance that we have eternal life in him. You know, John, John sees all that this congregation is suffering and all that it has suffered. And here, at the end of his letter, he tells them that everything that he's written in this letter, he wrote so that they can know that they have eternal life in spite of what they had heard from these false teachers. You know, they, they don't need to add anything to the gospel of Jesus Christ that they had heard and received. And John, John Stott explains it this way. He says, John's desire for them is not that they may believe and receive, but that having believed, they may know that they have received and therefore continue to have eternal life. You know, in this letter, John says, if you're looking for eternal life and you've repented of your sins and placed your faith in Jesus Christ, then you already have it. He wants to assure them they already have it. You don't need to add any other Savior. You don't need to add anything to the gospel that you have already heard and believed. And so through his perfect sinless life and death, uh, by his sacrificial death on the cross, the resurrected Jesus Christ has already done all that they needed him to do. Uh, he's already done all that is necessary for us to know eternal life. That's what John wants to make sure they understand because that's not what they've been hearing. And so the first incredible truth that John calls us to remember this morning is that if we have come to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance, then we can know that we have eternal life. And then the second incredible truth that John calls us to remember this morning is this. God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers. Uh, let me read verses 14 and 15 again for us. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. 
Uh, in these verses, John tells us that not only can we be confident of eternal life, but we can be confident that God hears our prayers right now. And, and this is actually really, really similar to what we are told in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 and 16. And I want to read those for us. Uh, this is a familiar passage. This is Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know, what we hear in the book of Hebrews and what we read in the words of John is that the blessings of a life in Jesus Christ aren't only reserved for the future. Now, they aren't only for the future, they are also for right now. Jesus has made a way for us to approach the holy God who made the universe and against whom we rebelled, and he's made a way for us not to approach timidly, but we can actually approach with confidence, with boldness, that our prayers will be heard, that our prayers will be answered. And the truth that God hears our prayers is a familiar truth, uh, but it is not a small truth. Uh, Daniel Doriani says it this way. He says, It is no small claim to affirm confident access into the very presence of the invisible, eternal, and almighty God. There, there is great assurance and comfort for a believer in remembering that the God who made all things out of nothing by the power of his word, uh, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Exodus, the God who did all these incredible things that we read about in the, in the Bible, the incredible, powerful, and good God that we read about in Scripture, he's the one who hears our prayers. He hears our prayers. And yet, as we read these two verses, some of us are filled with anxiety rather than with comfort. Uh, in these verses, John says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And, and with these words, he assures us that we are heard. But as we read these words, many of us will ask, well, how can we know? How, how can we know if we're praying according to his will? And while that's not the, the main point uh, that John is making, I do want to take a moment to talk about this phrase. In, in one sense... We can know how to pray according to God's will because he has revealed much of his will to us in his word. And, and this is the, the primary way that we understand John's words to us in these verses. Uh, there are things that we can pray for that are in keeping with what God has revealed to us about his will in scripture. Uh, we can pray that he will restrain the wicked. Uh, we can pray for the repentance of a wayward son or daughter. We can pray that we will grow in holiness. We can pray that rain will fall on our fields. We can pray that the Lord will provide for our families. We can pray that the message of the gospel will bear, bear fruit as it goes out from us and into our community. You know, the Bible tells us so much about the good and perfect will of our God, and when we pray, we're wise to pray for those things. And yet what makes these verses difficult for us is that we know that there will be times when we feel, uh, we feel like we've prayed a prayer that is in line with God's word and it hasn't been answered in the way that we had hoped or expected. You know, healing hasn't occurred. Our repentance and restoration of a friend or a family, family member still seems far away. Uh, we've lost our job unexpectedly, and we don't know what's next for our family. You know, there, there are times when we have prayed according to God's word, and in his wisdom, he has not answered our prayers as we had hoped. And in these moments, we, we try to teach ourselves. Uh, we teach ourselves to trust the character of our God and to trust his will for us. And one commentator says it this way. He says, 
God's will may be different than what we want, but it will always be better than what we want. And I believe that's true, and it's a nicely spoken truth, but the reality is that it takes extraordinary faith to believe that in, the, in these moments. Uh, when God has not answered our prayers as we hoped and believed that he would, uh, we may be left praying for the faith that we need to continue to trust God. Uh, we may be praying for the faith that we need to continue to trust his response to our prayers. Um, and the good news is that he hears and answers those prayers too. And, and thankfully, the Bible gives us the example of Jesus who prayed in the garden. He prayed earnestly that the cup of God's wrath would be taken from him. And then he submitted to his Father's will and went to the cross to die on our behalf. You know, there are times when we pray according to God's revealed will, according to what he's told us in the Bible, and he hears our prayers and he chooses to answer differently. And when he does this, we look to Jesus and we pray for the faith that we need to trust his response is good. And so in these two verses, John is assuring us that because of Jesus Christ, our prayers are heard, Uh, John is not telling us that we need to stress out trying to guess what God's secret will is for us before we can pray. Uh, He's he's telling us that as we pray according to what God has revealed to us in his word, we can be sure that our prayers are heard. Uh, We can be sure that God will respond to our prayers and that while there will be times when for our good God says no, uh, John wants us to know that our God takes delight in saying yes to his children. Um, That is the main thing John wants us to understand that yeah, there's gonna be times when God says no, but God takes delight and saying yes to his children. So John calls us to remember the truth that Jesus ensures that our prayers are heard and that God will act according to his will in response to our heard prayers. And that's no small thing. Um, It's no small thing. Just because it's familiar doesn't mean we have to try to make more of the verse than it is. Um, It is an incredible thing to know that the God of the universe hears you when you pray. The third incredible truth that John calls us to remember this morning is this. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for our sins. In Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness for our sins. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19 again for us. John says this, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. One of the themes that we see in the book of 1 John is that Christians are still going to sin, and that there is forgiveness for their sins in the blood of Jesus Christ. But John also makes it clear throughout the entire book, he says it over and over again, that while Christians will sin, they will not live lives that are marked by continual unrepentant sin. And this is how John Stott says it. He says, sin and the child of God are incompatible. They may occasionally meet, but they cannot live together in harmony. And, and this has been a theme throughout the book of John, as John continued to tell his readers that one way that they can test the genuineness of their faith is by considering how they respond to their own sins. When a Christian sins, we expect that the Holy Spirit and the Word will bring conviction that will lead to repentance, and John assures us that a repentant sinner will be forgiven because of the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And recognizing this theme in the book of John is important because it helps us understand these really confusing verses we just read. In verses 14 and 15, John told us that God hears our prayers, and in verses 16 through 19, he tells us to pray for our fellow Christians 
as they struggle against sin so that they will be brought to repentance and so that they will know forgiveness. So when we see fellow Christians sinning, we don't respond with gossip or with condemnation or by feeling very superior. We respond by praying for them. You know, whether they're our children or our neighbor or a friend or someone who sits on the opposite side of the sanctuary, our response to seeing a fellow Christian struggling with sin is to pray for the repentance so that they will know life. And Colin Cruz, one of the commentators, explains that the phrase, and God will give him life, is talking about the future eternal life that is promised to a believer who proves to be a true believer by living a life characterized not by the rejection of Christ and unrepentant sin, but by a life characterized by faith in Jesus Christ and repentance for their sins. So when John talks about sins not leading to death, he is talking about the sins that Christians commit and repent of and are forgiven for because of the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. And and think back, think back to the first two verses of chapter two where John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. This is why in verse 17 of chapter 5, John says, All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. He says this because he wants us to understand that all sin is wrong, but for those who are in Jesus Christ, the wages of those sins are no longer eternal spiritual death for us because Jesus took that penalty on himself on the cross. So then then what do we do with John's comment about sin that leads to death? because that's still kind of hanging out there. In this verse, John is making a distinction. He's making a distinction between the sins of a repentant believer and the sins of someone who rejects Christ and who remains unrepentant. And John most likely has the sins of the false teachers who have rejected Christ and sought to harm the church in mind when he says, uh, when he says this. Without Christ, there is no forgiveness for our sins, and those sins will ultimately, ultimately lead to eternal spiritual death. And that's what John is making sure they understand. So in contrast to these false teachers who he tells us belong to the world, believers are born of God and they are no longer under the power of the evil one. And in fact, he says, not only are we born of God, but the one, he who was born of God, Jesus Christ, protects us from harm, protects us from the evil one. So the truth that John tells us and the truth that John reminds us of in this passage is that in Jesus there is forgiveness for our sins. That is the main point he's communicating. So when we see a fellow Christian struggling with sin, we pray for their repentance. Uh, When we find ourselves struggling with sin, we are assured that there is forgiveness for our sins as well through Jesus Christ. And so John calls us, calls us to remember there's forgiveness for our sins in Jesus Christ. And the fourth incredible truth that John calls us to remember this morning is this. Jesus, the Son of God, has come, and he came with a purpose. Jesus, the Son of God, has come, and he came with a purpose. I'm going to read verse 20 again. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. In response to the false teachings that had attacked the person and nature of Jesus, John affirms the miracle of the incarnation, uh, that Jesus came in the flesh as fully God and fully man, and he affirms this as someone who lived alongside of Jesus for three years. He wants us to know that the incarnation of Jesus is a historical fact because that had been challenged by these teachers. John tells us that Jesus came. He tells us that Jesus came with a purpose. He tells us that Jesus came to give us understanding 
so that we may know him who is true. By him who is true, John means God the Father. In John 14, you guys probably remember this, in John 14, Philip asked Jesus to show them the Father. And Jesus tells Philip that anyone who has seen the Father has, or has seen the Son has already seen the Father. Jesus came and he revealed to us the Father through his life and through his ministry so that we can know him. Uh, Hebrews chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. In verse 20, John reminds us of the truth that Jesus came to reveal the Father to us in a new way. And then he goes on to tell us that Jesus came to give us union with the Father. And and I know that we've heard about union with the Father before, but what John just said is absolutely astounding. Uh, John just told us that Jesus came to give rebellious sinners who were counted the enemies of God before we found forgiveness in Christ. He came to give us union with the Father through our union with him. And so John tells us that Jesus really came and that he came to give us understanding to know the Father, that he came to give us union with the Father through him. And then John tells us that Jesus came to reveal himself as the true God and eternal life. In, in words that remind us of the words that we find at the beginning of the Gospel of John, John reminds us in the conclusion of this letter that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, is the true God and that he is eternal life. Uh, John begins this letter by affirming the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he concludes his letter with a powerful declaration of his assurance in the gospel of Jesus Christ that finds its assurance in the very person and nature of Jesus. Uh, The Jesus that they had heard of, the Jesus that they had received, he is the true God, and in him and in him alone they're going to find eternal life. John leaves his hearers with a powerful statement of the divinity of Jesus and with the assurance that they do not need to look anywhere else for eternal life. And John leaves us with these truths as well. So the question for us this morning is this. Well, how how do we respond? How do we respond to these four incredibly truths that John has called us to remember? Well, John tells us how to respond in verse 21. In verse 21, he says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In this final verse... John once again speaks to us with a voice of a compassionate spiritual father, and he calls us, in light of all that we just heard, to keep ourselves from idols. Yet this morning, as we read the words of John, he calls us to remember the truths of the gospel. He calls us his little children. And as he does these things, we're hearing the words of a pastor who understands the hearts of his hearers. Uh, He knows that our hearts are tired. He knows that we are struggling with deep sadness and loss. He knows that division is wearing us out. He knows that we are unsettled. And he knows the temptations that we face in these moments to seek the comfort of our favorite idols. And so John calls us to remember the incredible truths that we already possess in Jesus Christ. And he tells us to forsake the false promises of peace and rest and stability and hope that our false gospels and false saviors offer us. And to remember who we are and all that we already have in our incredible Savior, Jesus Christ, who is true God and who is eternal life. So let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. Uh, We know this passage is full of incredible truths that we uh, barely touched on. Father, we ask that you would continue to work these things deeper into our hearts. Uh, We ask that you would help us um, to put away our false idols, the things that we look to for comfort, and to find our comfort in you, to find our stability and hope and anchor in you and in you alone. We thank you for this reminder of the gospel, this reminder 
that our gospel is not, um, our confidence is not in uh, men, but our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would um, just work that truth home into our hearts today. May we pray. Amen.